And what is awesome about it is how it went. Didn't happen overnight, did it? I hope he shares a little bit with us. Just because we need to hear this from every angle possible. You know what I'm saying? That Sometimes we make hard what God's trying to make easy. And, and we want it on our timing when it's got to be on his time. And if I can be patient with that. He said he would add unto the church daily such as should be saved. I don't got to chase them down. I got to be open. I got to be available. I got to be ready when God puts him in my path or God gives me a name, somebody I need to call, whatever happens that links us together. But it is there. And I just want Brother Miller to come and take his liberty. I appreciate his leadership in our district, representing us at headquarters and all that he does for our district. God bless you, brother. We love you. Come, take your liberty. Good evening, everyone. It's Friday night. For many, the end of a long work week. You got off work, you punched the clock. You ran home, cleaned up a bit, put on some church clothes. Maybe you ate, maybe you haven't to be here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Percentage of pastors in this section represented here tonight, I'm honored. I know you have a zillion and one things to do. But you're here tonight. To bless and be blessed. To invest and be invested in. Thank you. Thank you. Brother John Stone, uh, you just are such a personal inspiration to me. And I thank you very much. His work with us on the committee, he's done the job I'm doing and done it better. And he's a multiple church planner and obviously he has a heartbeat for winning people. And he is an inspiration, and I appreciate him being on the team. He's about the only sectional leader that hasn't quit on me. So I'm scary to some people, but I haven't scared him off yet. It's already been mentioned. I invite everybody to give to Christmas for Christ this Christmas season. Uh, give your best gift to Jesus. Just help us evangelize Washington. Help us evangelize Washington. Pastors, if you would... Give your congregations an opportunity to give. By the end of the month, you're going to receive a box of Christmas cards for Christ. Pretty simple instructions. If you'll just give folks a chance to give, that's all I'm asking. And allow them to be, invite them to be conduits of God's provision. I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Washington appreciates it. Evangelism, winning people. Tonight, after I preach for about 90 minutes or so. Yes, I'm kidding. We're going to conclude this service with prayer. We're going to invite everybody, front to back, side to side, to have a conversation with Jesus Christ. Preacher, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know if I know how to pray. I'm not sure I can... Listen, if you can have a conversation you can pray. If you'll just think about a conversation with your best friend and you're being as honest and yourself as you can be. If you'll talk 
to Jesus that way, everything's going to be fine. If you fake it with Jesus, you're going nowhere. Back before I married the beautiful wife who finally said yes, I would introduce other young ladies to my mom. And my mom, Travis, who is this? Introduce me. I would introduce. And this is what my mom would do. So nice to meet you. And I just wanted to hurl, you know? Like, Mom, how do you lie like that? You're a woman of God. That, what was that? So nice to meet you. Listen, if you and I do that with God, it's the same response. Yes, Jesus, same response. But if we'll be as genuine and as real as we are with our best friend, it's amazing how quickly we get close to the Lord. So we're going to have a time of prayer when we end tonight. If, if there's something as you begin to pray that you think, you know what, I need to be forgiven for something I thought, I said, I've done, I feel like it wasn't right in the sight of God, then go ahead and talk to him about that. If you feel like, you know what, I need to change my life's direction. I've been going this way, but I feel like Jesus is calling me another way. Then you pray in that fashion. And if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, you need to receive that tonight. It is available to everyone. It is a gift you don't have to beg. There's got to be desire, got to be belief. There needs to be surrender. But it's for everybody. And if you don't have it, I hope that you are wise enough to pursue the Holy Spirit tonight and leave here with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can be confident you have it. The Bible gives us the clear evidence. You'll speak in a language that you didn't learn at home and you didn't learn in school. It's a language given by the Spirit itself. You'll speak in another language. Man, that sounds wild, I know. Yet it's exactly what happened in the Bible, and it's what happens today. In the spring of this year, Jen showed up at church. We got to talking with Jen, and what's, what's going on? What are you all about? She said, I've been watching online for about eight weeks, and I just had to come. Come to find out over some trip to California, some family had taken her to a Pentecostal church. She'd been baptized, and she's just looking for a Pentecostal church in her city, and she found us. And so Jen started coming, and my wife and I met with her and trying to figure out her story and where you're at. And when we ended that first little casual meeting in the commons area of our church, she said, Now, I want you to know, I don't have the Holy Ghost yet, but I want it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Jen, you're going to receive it, and we're going to help you. We'll teach you. We'll talk to you about things. And a few times in service, Jen, you know how folks get. They get a little closer, but they don't all the way dive in. <laughs> Jen would get close, and we keep coaching her. One time we were in a small group Bible study in the middle of a park this summer. The Spirit of the Lord fell in that park. There's a half dozen of us sitting in lawn chairs talking about the end time. And Jen begins crying. Spirit of the Lord is moving on her and powerful, and she just won't fully surrender. We get done praying, we talk afterward. I said, Jen, wow. She goes, I have never felt anything like that before. And she begins to talk like that must have been the Holy Ghost. I said, It was all over you, but it ain't in you yet. 
How do you know? Because you'll know like everyone knows. You'll speak in a language you weren't taught. There's more than what you got. She's weeping. This is amazing. I know. God moved on people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, He works in people. Then just a few weeks after that, in the middle of service, we call people up for prayer along the front. Just whatever your need is today, come and we'll anoint you with oil. And, and Jen made a beeline out of her pew. And she came and stood in the corner right over there. In a short amount of time, she raised her hands and you could tell. She began speaking in a heavenly language as the Lord filled her with his powerful spirit. I want somebody to know that that God is here tonight. I want somebody to know that if you're a Jen, his power is here for you tonight. He's available. And I pray that everyone would take advantage of that. Amen. So I'm going to preach for a little while. And then we're going to pray. Everybody got the plan? So when I invite us to pray at the end, it's like no surprises. We knew this was coming. Lord Jesus, so grateful, Lord, for what we have heard and how you are working and moving in various cities and various lives and various communities. And Lord, your interest in people, your desire, Lord, to see all saved that none would perish. I pray, God, that a few words shared tonight would inspire us and and convict us. And Lord, allow us to see and recognize what you really want to do among us. Have your way in every mind, in every life, in every spirit. Minister, Lord, as only you are able to do. Lord, do things beyond our understanding and beyond our explanation. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. As you're seated, turn to somebody and say, I sure hope this isn't boring. You were thinking it anyway. I just wanted to get that out the way. I enjoy a good story. Anyone else enjoy a good story? I like a good story. Every year, in addition to my developmental reading, I also make sure to search out and read a couple of good stories. I enjoy the development of the story. I enjoy the the characters and the plot twists and the surprises of a good story, regardless of its nature. Not just the story itself, but I like the process of telling a story. I particularly like nonfiction events that are recorded in story form. I, I like that because, frankly, sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. How many have heard that phrase before? The truth is stranger than fiction. It originated, it's pretty sure, with Lord Byron from a poem he wrote in 1823. "'Tis strange but true, for truth is always strange. Stranger than fiction. If it could be told, how much would novels gain by the exchange? How differently the world would men behold." Mark Twain commented on the phrase. He said, truth is stranger than fiction, but it's because fiction is obliged to stick with possibilities and truth isn't. 
Or there are times when actual events are more outlandish than our minds could figure out. I like to read the newspaper and periodically I'll read the Dear Abby columns because I like to think what crazy people are dealing with in their lives. It's a good reflection of society. You want to know who you're ministering to? Well, I read this in a column. Man writes in, my wife has always been well-groomed, okay, no problem, with an obsessive interest in her fingernails and toenails. Every three to four days, she spends an hour trimming them. He continues on, recently I discovered she has been keeping the nail trimmings. She actually has three large plastic containers full. He said, when I confronted her, she claimed it soothes her to see her collection. His last sentence is, I'm afraid she needs professional help. (laughs) He don't say. Truth is stranger than fiction. Are you with me? We went around this room tonight. In fact, as I talk about that, some of your minds came to a story like, I got one I could tell. Things that have happened in our lives or in close associations, true stories. I'm sure in this room, we'd hear some doozies. And I bring this to our attention because strange stories aren't a recent happening. If we will do the investigation, the Bible records many people whose histories, whose lives involve all kinds of twists and turns, the unusual, the odd, and frankly, in some cases, stranger than fiction. In this book, there's a story in the Old Testament about a a lady who married into a nice family. The family had actually immigrated from another country because of famine. And this newly married woman, she enjoyed her husband. She married into a nice mother-in-law and father-in-law. She gained a nice brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And everything seemed to be successful, all was good. But then then her father-in-law died. And then her brother-in-law died. And then her own husband died. Now it's three women whose husbands suffered untimely deaths and they seem to be on their own. And then to seem to add injury to what has already occurred, her mother-in-law, who she grown to love, said, I'm going back to my homeland. I'm going back. And now she faces being out with a person she loves. And so the woman decides, you know what, I'm going to move with her. I'm going to immigrate to another country and, and be with her. A twist in the story. And so she goes to that new country, and she's there a while, and her circumstances start changing. In this new country, the lady is swept off her feet by a prominent and wealthy man. They end up getting married, and he loves her so much that he says, I'm going to take care of your mother-in-law as well. This lady's life twists and turns and ups and downs, and you can't make that stuff up. The truth is stranger than fiction. In the Bible, 
you read the scripture, there's another woman talked about in here. She's, well, she's a prostitute in a big city. She's a big-time prostitute. Two of Israel's spies come to her city before they wage war, and she hid them from the authorities in her city. When she did so, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know that you did what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and whom you utterly destroyed. And then she says, now I'm begging you, swear to me by your God that you will show kindness to my father's house. Spare my mom, spare my dad, spare my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. When the Israelite army did attack, they spared the prostitute and her whole household and all that she had. And then the Bible says this, so she dwells in Israel to this day. One very good decision completely changed the outcome of her life. Well, those are intriguing stories, preacher, but I don't know how strange they are. I mean, I don't know. Oh, there's more. The book of Genesis tells this story. She is, there's a woman in here. Her first husband, so wicked, God kills him. Now, there's a Jewish law at the time when that happens and a woman is left by her own without any children to take care of her in her old age that... Her dead husband's brother is to marry her and have children with her so that the children will care for her in her elderly age. So she marries her brother-in-law. He refuses to have children with the woman that would provide for her in her days to come. And God kills her second husband. Now in the law of the brothers, there's only one brother left in the household, but he's just a kid can't be marrying an eight-year-old so the father-in-law says listen if you'll wait until he's marrying age I'll marry you off to him and you'll have children with him and so she waits she waits around but when he does get old enough to marry he marries another woman and doesn't marry this distraught woman who's had two husbands killed by God and the woman's bitter her father-in-law goes on a business journey into another city and this woman goes to the city also. She disguises herself as a prostitute. She sells herself to her father-in-law. And that immoral resolution turns out to twin boys being born to the woman by her father-in-law. Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. And then there's a story of a lady just practicing her hygiene. She's taking a bath. But she's being watched by a peeping Tom. From a nearby rooftop, a powerful leader is watching her and he thinks she's beautiful. Now we're not told if this is the first time it's happened. We don't know if it's recurring. We don't know if she knowingly bathed where he could watch. We don't know if it was a total accident. What we know is that there were intentional actions afterward. The powerful man asked about her, found out her husband's off to war. So he sends for her. He sleeps with her. And again, we don't know the details. Was she completely naive? Was this an abuse of power? We don't know all of that. But we know she became pregnant from the relationship. 
So the powerful man launches a big old cover-up and he summons her soldier husband back from the front line, figuring when he comes to town, surely he'll go to the house and spend some time with his wife and everybody will think the baby is just theirs. That he's a man with a serious honor code and he says, I I'm not going to enjoy privileges that my fellow soldiers don't have and I'm not going to go visit my wife. I'm not going to do that. And the powerful man says, okay, go back to war and take this note with you. And, and the note told the sergeant, put him at the front of the line and back away and let him be killed in battle. And that's exactly what happened. He was killed by the powerful man, if you will. The woman mourns powerful man marries her and then they have the baby and because of God's judgment the baby dies but evidently the man really loves the woman and they have another baby and that baby becomes the wisest man who ever lived stranger than fiction these plot twists, these surprise turns, these details in real lives, they're just outlandish. It, you know what it helps me to recognize? People, long before you and I ever breathed, people are capable of some seriously crazy behavior. To me, the, the interesting thing here is that each of these stories is really linked together with another lady. But more on that in a minute. I was reading the newspaper about this family that discovered this whole other group of relatives they never knew about. A woman, her dad left her mom when she was just really young. And during her parents' brief marriage, they found out that her father was actually living under an alias. They didn't even know his real name before he jetted out of town. Later in life, this little girl became a mom and then a grandma, and she's wondering what happened and is there any more family? And so she did one of those genetic swab tests with one of these websites, and they chased things down, and lo and behold, they discovered an entire line of family they hadn't known about previously, and they connected and discovered one another. You know, there's a lot of people really interested in their family histories. They want to know about their heritage. They want to know where they came from, whose aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins, nephews, aunt. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're interested in all of that connection. The Bible is full of family history. All kinds of family history. There are long lists of family lines. Those are called genealogies. Genealogies. The first one's in Genesis chapter 4. There are lots of others. If you read the book of Chronicles, you read Ezra and Nehemiah, there's probably the most of them in those books. Genealogies were especially important in the Bible times because land was divided and occupied based on your family. The priesthood was passed along based on your family. The royal succession and power based on your family. The Messiah was prophesied through family. So there's wealth and there's power and there's authority 
And all of those things are hinged on your heritage and on your bloodline. So genealogies were very important. They established the purity of heritage. If you're like me, you probably don't pay much attention to genealogies in your annual Bible reading. I dare say that many of us are reading through the Bible. We run short on time one morning, and luckily it's three chapters of genealogies. Well, bless God, they all had kids, and we're on our merry way. We don't spend a lot of time in the genealogies. It's like a day off from your Bible reading. All those begots and unpronounceable names. But if we look closely at genealogies, here's something that we'll notice. Here's one of them. As recorded in their time, genealogies are all about fathers and their sons. My wife and I have two daughters. They hate that. It's all about sons. They don't think that's right. Where's the daughters? It's all about fathers and sons. You read the genealogies. Dominated by males almost exclusively. Except in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Things change when we read about Christ. Check this out. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, son of Abraham. Here we go. The men's names. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, T-H-A-M-A-M-A-R. That's one of our ladies. Two of her husbands were killed by God and she prostituted herself to have babies by her father-in-law. You read the Bible, Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Rahab is that big city prostitute who helped out the Israeli army. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Ruth was the outsider who suffered loss and then had a fairy tale ending to her life. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. There's that other lady, the final soap opera story in our series tonight. In the male-dominated world of genealogies, here are four women listed. And it, it makes a nerd like me say, why? What's going on there? Why all of a sudden are there four women listed in a genealogy of Jesus? And, and what are they all about and why were they chosen? And just like the plot twists in a great story, a well-written thing, Matthew Use those four women to grab our attention. You see, at the time of his writing, genealogies were not just written. They were often read publicly. And everybody who would have read that genealogy would have immediately 
picked up on these four names. They would have heard that, hey, wait, there's not many women named in the Old Testament genealogies. There are, but it's rare. It's random. And here, there's four women in just a few sentences at the very beginning of, of the genealogy of Christ Jesus. It's, it's attention-getting because that kind of thing just didn't happen. Why are they there? And once he's got his atten our attention, then I ask more questions of Matthew. Matthew, if you wanted to put women in the story, why didn't you use Abraham's wife, Sarah? Why didn't you use Isaac's wife, Rebecca? Why didn't you use Jacob's wife, Rachel? They're famous women in the Old Testament. They all had their wombs open to birth children they couldn't do prior. These are some miraculous ladies. If you wanted to sow the seeds of inclusion of women in the genealogy, why didn't you put the fine ladies in there? Why didn't you put the highfalutin ladies in there? But that's not. He didn't put the faithful ones in there. Instead, he wrote about Tamar, and Rahab, and Ruth, and Bathsheba. Instead, he reminds everyone who would read and hear this genealogy, that those that would say, you know what, we are children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He reminds them there's other stories in the bloodline. There's other lives in the bloodline that brought us to the Messiah. Matthew reminds us that not all the ancestors of Jesus are respected Israelites. When we read the names of Tamar and Rahab, it reminds me their true lives were stranger than fiction. And yet, they were included in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. When I see the name of Ruth, I'm reminded that the outsider Moabite who came from another country in a land not her own, she's included in the heritage of the Holy Messiah. When the Bible talks about Bathsheba, Matthew brings to every mind the bizarre, the foolish choices that people make, and yet there she is. Bathsheba was involved in bringing to all humanity the sacred savior of our world come on every one of those four women became a mother of the messianic line in an irregular and extraordinary way they're outsiders they're victims they're sinners They've got lives that are embroiled with heartache and sorrow. They didn't have it easy. They had it tough. They didn't have a gravy train. They had some weird stuff happen. They made bad choices. People made bad choices about them. They were victims. They were harmed. They were grief-ridden. There was a lot of trash went on in these women's lives. And yet, there they are. They've got the you-can't-make-this-up stories. But they're part of the genetic makeup of Jesus Christ. They are part of His story. And I want to remind us tonight of this one simple but powerful truth, the blood that Jesus Christ bled from you and me came from imperfect heritage and imperfect bloodline. Yes, He was a perfect human. He never made a mistake. But his family tree was a crooked one. His blood genetically reflects the unsavory elements of humanity, even the lives that are stranger than fiction. 
I want us to know and understand Jesus died for the cheated and the punished like those in his family tree. Jesus died for the adulterers and the schemers like his ancestors. Jesus' blood cleanses families whose stories sound like soap operas just like those in his own history. I preach tonight not just for everybody in this room, but for everybody in this city, everybody in this county, everybody in this region, everybody in this fair state. Understand and know anyone stranger than fiction story can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. His redemptive range is endless. When our guilt beats us down, Jesus' blood lifts us up. When our humiliation is hammering us down, Jesus' blood covers us anew. When our peers start talking us down, Jesus' blood reaches and lifts us up. When the enemy says into our ears, standing on our shoulders, your story, ma'am, is a bit too weird. When the enemy says, sir, your story is a bit too screwed up and Jesus ain't going to touch you with a 10-foot pole, that's a lie from the pits of hell. His blood works on every man, every boy, every lady, every girl. His blood covers them all. Stranger than fiction lives. They don't neutralize the blood of Jesus. Stranger than fiction lives. They don't intimidate Jesus. And listen to me. Neither should they intimidate us. In no way, shape, or form should any one of us observe a person, learn about a person, and think, nah, I'm not telling them about Jesus. You and I might not hire them for the company where we employ people. You and I might be a little scared to welcome them into our household. But you and I better never determine not to tell them about Jesus. His blood works on everybody. It includes genetically. The man Christ Jesus had the failures of family history. <laughs> and yet, with the Spirit in him, he lived a perfect life. Well, I'm speaking to somebody today. You're putting yourself in a box. You're putting your future in a box. You hear preachers and your pastor and your fellow disciples saying to you, God's going to do this in you, and God's going to do that in you. And you pull out your notebook of family history. You pull out the background of where you've been and what you've done. And you start declaring, no, it can't work for me. You hear this preacher, yes, it can work for you. It, it's not a matter of who we are. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of our Savior. Oh, I don't know, preacher. 
while he was reviewing the heritage of the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul, he's looking around in an audience like this in the Corinthians. He's writing from memory. He's like, I've been preaching there. Let me talk about, here's what I see in the crowd. Those who worshiped idols, those committing adultery, those practicing prostitution and homosexuality, thieves, yeah, I see thieves, I think greedy people, drunks, abusers, cheaters. And then Paul writes this, some of us were once like that. In the past, that's how it was. But we were cleansed. We were made holy. We were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I, I preach a simple message of evangelism tonight. Every history can be changed by the all-encompassing blood of Jesus Christ. Stranger than fiction lives don't intimidate Jesus and they shouldn't intimidate us. His blood... The powerful blood. Brother and sister, that's why we teach Bible studies. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. His powerful blood is the reason we befriend non-Christians. I like to call them pre-Christians. His cleansing blood is why we hold weekly worship services and gather in facilities. His blood is the reason we're trying to evangelize our cities. His blood is the reason we keep water in baptismals and tissues around an altar. It's because of His blood. And while my story might be stranger than fiction, Jesus doesn't flinch at my story because He's got family stranger than I am. And He does died for them. He's died for me. His sinless life purified their blood and it can purify mine. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Stand with me right now. We're going to pray. We're going to pray in three different scenarios, but I want you to hear this stranger than fiction. Last thing I did today in Everett before I got in the car and drove over here was teach a Bible study. My wife and I have been in a Bible study with Angie now for about 20 months. Angie emailed us just before COVID shut everything down. She found us online. And she emailed us. I sent one couple to go meet with her and she was kind of sketchy in a coffee shop. She was real timid and real... Uh, awkward and kind of fearful and then we sent another couple to meet with Angie and finally after a couple of meetings and a little Bible study church was shut down we weren't even meeting Angie said can I be baptized I want to be baptized in Jesus name and so we brought her to the church and we baptized her in the power of the Lord worked what a genuine repentance tears coming down her face Weeks later, I taught her Bible study about, she talked to me, she said, she's real timid, she's real shy. She said, now, sometimes when I pray, like, I can't explain it. And she didn't have the right words, but she was embarrassed about things happening when she prayed. And I, I just, I was a little ignorant. I just consoled her, like, it's going to be okay. 
and she mentioned it a couple times and back away, and I didn't dig far enough. I'm just, I'm just slow sometimes. But we got to the lesson talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Angie sat back in her chair and said, that's what happened to me. <laughs> what we learned after we baptized her, tears coming down her face. She's in the office. Thank you for baptizing me. I haven't been living right. I know it's not right. I'm in divorce proceedings from my wife. Baptized in Jesus' name. Filled with the Holy Ghost. 20 months in Bible study. Every couple of weeks. Prayerful, faithful to church. Given. Once, how do I tithe? I need to be given. A life complete. Some of us, that might be your stranger than fiction example. Like God can work in this and God can work in that. But some of that sexual perversion stuff, I don't know if God can. Yeah, 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 he can. He's a God that changes every life. Every life. Every life. So we're going to pray in a couple very specific categories. First of all, if you're here and you feel like, you know what, I, I, I need to receive the Holy Spirit. I never have, and I want it. If the blood of Christ will give His Spirit in me, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. If you feel that way, would you just grab the hand of somebody beside you and come walk up to the front right now? If you, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with God's power. If that... Does that fit you? Take the hand of somebody nearby you, friend, family, and come up to the front. Here's the second group.